All right, everybody, welcome back to the Extra Mile Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bain. Very excited for our guest today. We're going to have a great conversation. want to also make a big announcement. We are the Extra Mile Podcast, presented by Metaphora, no longer Carrier Direct. So we've had a big rebranding, which is very exciting. It's been very cool to be out on the streets and, and talking to folks about it and talk about it within the industry and uh, how we're going to move your business forward. So very excited for that. Very appreciative of uh, Metaphora presenting this podcast. But more importantly, let's talk about our guest today. Our guest, very important, very special guy. Uh, not just to the industry, but to me personally. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit as we go on. His name is Chris Glotzbach. And uh, Glotz, as we affectionately call him, been around the industry for uh, nearly 30 years. Incredible experience of uh, building customer portfolios, building sales teams, been around the technology space the entire time, uh, and really talk, you know, understands the intersection of technology, logistics, supply chain. More importantly, he's one of the most incredible leaders I've ever met. He's a great personal friend uh, and a mentor to me. He's one of the first guys who really kind of put me on the industry. And so if nothing else, I'm always appreciative to get some time with Glotz. But Chris Glotzbach, welcome to the Extra Mile Podcast. Good to have you, buddy. Hey, thanks, Bane. And, and thanks for the kind words as well. And um, it's been a fun ride. And we've done some of that together. And in those days, uh, you know, a lot of advancement in technology. So super excited to talk about that with you today, too. So definitely, definitely. Well, let's let's kind of start at the beginning. What what attracted you to the space? And if you want to give your background outside of the, the industry, what attracted you to the space? What kept you in it? Yeah, so I think like a lot of us, I mean, I was a science and, and math background. I thought about the medical industry. And at the time, it was during the kind of Clinton um, socialized medicine, they were talking about it. And a lot of my friends, parents that were physicians were, hey, don't get in medicine, uh, go become an attorney and sue us or, you know, or, you know, go to business school, do anything but this. And yeah. it was just out of happenstance, really. I had a friend at American Backhaulers at the time and invited me in for an interview. I actually brought my roommate. So we, we both joined at the same time. And what I really love about the industry is it's frothy with problems. We often mm -hmm. uh, describe it as, as whack-a-mole, right? So it's like you solve one problem, another one pops up. Yep. It was different each and every day. I also love the culture, especially at the American Backhaulers, you know, seeing and, and having exposure to, you know, Jeff Silver and Paul Loeb and mm -hmm. Eddie Lutchin and those type of individuals really just you know, inspired me as, as a person and um, really just saw like the need in the industry and a lot of gaps. I mean, at that time we were, we had big atlases and we're literally taking pieces of string and had cards, people, you know, drivers had to call in from pay phones, et cetera. So yeah, a totally yeah. different world back then. And, uh, you know, got to see the the kind of first evolution when we built out the first uh, proprietary TMS and got to be part of that experience and then seeing it evolve. And I think it's evolved, you know, dramatically over the last several years, especially with the advent of smartphones and ELDs, et cetera. You bet. You bet. And I think uh, I can speak to that as well. I think that's one of the things that definitely excited me is to your point, there's a, a myriad of issues that go into whether it's visibility, whether it's the access to data. There's so many different things that, that we could point to, uh, but ultimately, like this is something that hit, it hits home literally every single day. And so it's a, I think it's exciting to be a part of that. That uh, you know, I tell people what we do. Every single thing on your person has been on a truck at least twice, and yes. so I, I think that's so dope. And and that that kind of crystallizes for people how important what we do is. So that's that's I love that you brought that up. So so let's talk about this this intersection of technology and, and supply chain. 
so much, especially over the last 10 years, you, know, you mentioned kind of when you started in the industry, it was a little, a lot more analog, not a, little, a lot more analog. And now we're over the last 10 years, we've seen this acceleration and this velocity of technology. What is this tech supposed to do? What is it doing? What is it not doing yet? You know, we talk about, you know, so it's always that whack-a-mole problems. What are you seeing from your vantage point? Because again, you've been around a lot of different uh, spaces and, and you kind of have a higher level vantage point. So maybe talk about that a little bit. I mean, I think what it's intended to do is really automate everything, right? I think, mm-hmm. and I think that in itself may be the problem that you're not going to be able to automate everything here. And what it should really be doing is making people's lives better. So operators out on the floor, um, drivers' lives better, more efficient, just removing the redundancy, but also giving them prescriptive and kind of guided actions to take. You know, we had all this big data once we were able to get in with TMS platforms, et cetera. And a lot of it became Monday morning quarterbacking, right? It was very descriptive analytics. uh, I could tell you what happened yesterday. I think with the advent of smartphones and ELDs, I can start predicting when things may happen, but ultimately... I need to get in this prescriptive kind of mindset where I'm allowing people to understand problems they've encountered before and giving them kind of the least path of resistance and the ability to take actions in order to solve them. Um, Oftentimes, I think tech comes in and sees this as a very antiquated industry, which it is, and thinks there's a silver bullet. And I I just think it's going to be more evolutionary than that. I think it's been proven over the last, you know, call it, 10 years or so, but I think that's how I would respond to that question. Awesome. So, so changing gears a little bit, you know, one of the things that I think is important because to your point, not only does this business evolve, but, but we evolve too, we evolve in it. Right. And that comes from the people we come in contact with and it comes from the folks that, that are influenced us. I, I would consider you're one of those that has influenced me and has been a, a great influence on my career and has changed it ultimately for the better. Talk about your, your top influences, maybe top five influences or influencers in both the industry and then personally for you? Yeah, so I think they kind of all kind of intersect. I mean, um, I've had, you know, outside the industry, obviously outstanding coaches, you know, my father, those those type of mentors that you would, you know, would easily come to mind for for folks. But inside the industry, I mean, it starts with Paul Loeb and seeing, you know, what he built. I mean, if you look at the tentacles of American backhaulers and what it really touches in the industry today, both from a a technology standpoint. Yeah. Um, Jeff Silver, I mean, not only one of the best like technical minds that I've been around, but also just, you know, the ability to really understand culture. I mean, it amazed me when I moved back uh, to Chicago and 2012 and you know I don't live too far from Coyote but I saw every person on the street or at the gym or wherever I went had on this lime green and and black gear and I think he's the best at establishing culture and um really creating that like Ohio State Michigan kind of like rivalry with people and defining on you know who he's gonna go attack so I think Mm -hmm. He certainly, Eddie Lush in, in my career, just, um, you know, seeing, having that mentorship when I was, you know, younger and having someone that I could talk to and think through, I had a lot of these, you know, ideas and always helping me think through those and just operation skill set. Mm-hmm. Mark Walker is another guy that comes to mind. I mean, Mark's got a just whole myriad of experience from 
technology to operating to analytics and just a phenomenal human being. And then I think more recently, Chris Hines um, brings Absolutely. that side of it. Yeah. I always call him my, uh, my big brother, if you will, because they're mm -hmm. quite a bit alike, but also just bringing that understanding from the asset side of the business. So that's been incredibly helpful as well. And just leaning into him or having him whisper in my ear. So that all great people. And I think all the right people for me at that particular time in my career. Yeah, you bet. And I think, yeah, those, those are huge names to, to drop. And I think every, <laughs> everyone who listens to this, you know, has had probably some interaction on some level with at least one of those folks, if not all. And, and I think it does definitely speak, uh, especially with, uh, with silver and low. I mean, their influence permeates throughout this industry everywhere. I mean, every brokerage, has some flavor of them somewhere in it, whether they realize it or not. Yeah, I, I think most of the successful brokerage are op operating off of some form of that original yeah. proprietary TMS, which exactly. I still think is one of the best in the industry to this day. Which, which is incredible, because I mean, you're talking something that's almost as, as old as I am. So <laughs> had, had to mess with a little bit, man. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's talk about that a little bit more. So we talk about, you talk about TMS. TMS is not a tech strategy by itself, but tech strategy in general is something that every broker is that wants to grow and really every business that wants to grow needs to be mindful of is, is their tech strategy, a build versus buy, all types of uh, different considerations. Uh, so talk about that evolution over, you know, over your career that you've seen, uh, you know, how tech well, strategies evolved. I mean, it, it's a, it's a big question, but I'd love for you to maybe touch on that a bit. Well, first I would say is TMS, even downstream on the logistics side, so from a broker's lens, is tough to build, right? And, mm -hmm. I, and I think Jeff probably threw away the first 12 versions of Express because he understood very intimately as being a strong operator that all these things were really, you know, dependent on one another. And so he had to have that right foundation. But it was magic when, when that occurred, we were just able to go very quickly. And mm -hmm. he was always... You know, we talk about product as a discipline today, and I think he leaned in a lot to the operators, to the frontline individuals. I, I was even, you know, looking at, you know, mastery and, and seeing the people that's in his product org. And I think I have a similar philosophy. I think it's easy to teach someone a product framework. Um, mm -hmm. It's harder to teach you logistics. So having strong operators in there, Providing the framework, I think it's a little bit easier to learn than more of the traditional kind of product individual that you would hire at a, at a pure tech company. And so I think that's one thing. I think a TMS downstream, it's, it's hard enough. Um, mm -hmm. When you talk about building a TMS for shippers, infinitely harder, right? You're going yep. upstream one yep. level, you're getting into the planning horizon, et cetera. And at the end of the day that, you know, that becomes extremely complex, uh, obviously a lot of disparate systems out there, integrations mm -hmm. become a huge challenge. So I see a brain very similar to, you know, do you want to rebuild Salesforce to go get a few more features? Probably not. So what can you build as far as modules that are able to be plugged in to mm -hmm. almost create a customized experience by user, right? So I may be a customer success manager, I need different tools. I may be an account manager, I need different tools, sales and so on. So having the right tools. So I think you'll see an evolution of digital tools that are bolt on to a lot of these TMS to make them, you know, kind of the right environment for that particular user. 
and I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. And one of the reasons why is I think people have seen kind of the Frankenstein systems. I think there's a difference in what you're talking about in the Frankenstein systems, right? You'll have some off the shelf and then somebody builds something and then they have a new person come in, they build something else. Those two, you talk about those, those are they customized one-off things that I don't right. think ever scale. So having no. something that's like, you know, that's, that's there uh, that works and then being able to build tools via APIs. I mean, that's the other big one. We have to move to this API environment, given all these disparate systems. I mean, EDI is a standard. It's been around since the, the late seventies. Um, I can tell you just, you know, our own experience on moving across just a, a TMS, no one customer, even though there may be several on that TMS has the same mapping and so forth. So exactly. they tend to be one, you know, one-to-one uh, -one integrations versus one-to-many. And that's the environment that, you know, we need to move towards in the future. Agreed. And I think, you know, one thing to consider with that is, you know, ultimately who suffers with that is not the carriers or providers, it's ultimately the shippers and, and manufacturers because they are losing out on capacity and they're having to deal with the fact that it is not easy to plug in new capacity and new partners because of the way there's the uh, legacy systems are. Yeah. So, th so thinking about, again, uh, this evolution has happened. Visibility is, is, I wouldn't say it's even closer. It's essentially table stakes now. I think the, the whole COVID mess that we've dealt with over the last couple of years probably put a slight pause on it. But now as we come out of that, there's going to be a whole lot more especially when you saw what happened with the ports and, and shifts being plugged up, people want to know where their stuff is. People want to understand and this is not just consumers. This is B2B. This is all the way, all the way back to the, to raw goods. So how can providers, how can companies differentiate themselves when looking at a visibility partner? And, and, you know, as we come out of these tight markets, what should they be considering with, within their, their providers as well to be able to connect with that visibility? Yeah. So I, I think before you can even, really answer that you have to think about the evolution of the industry first right we went mm -hmm. from this make to stock environment when i first started to make to order to make to customization now it's like hit a button get my thing and so there's a lot more nodes there's a lot more complexity involved in that a lot of nuance, a lot of nuance. for resilient supply chains and very adaptable supply chains so I think every single person that's in the industry day really has to be focused on one thing. And that's how do I get 30 more minutes of drive time per asset per day? And mm -hmm. so being able to reduce the, you know, reduce the underutilized capacity, increase throughput and all those mm -hmm. things. I think visibility is certainly an aid there. I think the visibility that we've seen thus far is, you know, predominantly with the power unit at the end of the day, I really care about my goods too. So like the best case would be having, you know, uh, tracking on the actual cargo, which I think will be very affordable in the near future and having that paired with the power unit, but also working with carriers in a way that allows them to kind of monetize this data as well, I think is important. So giving them opportunities, working more collaboratively, like with that asset-based provider, but also, you know, working even across customers. So if I'm, you know, if I'm upstream as a supplier into you, how do we reuse that capacity once it delivers? So we got to get better utilization out of the capacity that we do have. I think, 
I recently saw a number that underutilized capacity represents like $253 billion of uh, waste effectively. And yeah. not to mention what that does, you know, on the impact it has in respect to sustainability, et cetera. So I think it's a great call out to it. One of the things that a good friend of ours, Ryan Schreiber talks about is, it's not necessarily a driver shortage out there. It's driver utilization issue. So you talk about utilization, that's assets, that's drivers, you know, are we able to, you know, utilize this technology? And, and this is, this is more just an overall philosophical question. You know, can we reduce these, this driver shortage that we keep talking about by better utilization? And so that, and, and that's really where I feel like technology starts to come in. And so sure you have visibility. And as you said, you start getting down to the actual goods level. Now, how do we make sure that those, the, the goods themselves and the, the equipment is optimized from a utilization perspective. And then the drivers and their time, you get 30 minutes back. That's huge. 30 minutes back to a driver is, you know, 20 to 30 miles sometimes, depending on what the situation is. And, and that's the difference sometimes with things being delivered on time and not. Yeah. And I, I guess in, in respect to that as well, I think it's, you know, the biggest challenge is in order to accomplish that, you're going to have to get upstream and you're going to have mm -hmm. to get carriers that want to participate, want to, share their data again i think you have to find a monetization stream for mm -hmm. for these carriers to incentivize them and that can be an increase in, in an award etc so i i think you know those are the challenges and kind of hurdles that we have to overcome um if we're going to get more prescriptive in nature and start solving some of these problems proactively and identify hey there's a bottleneck here we need to take yep. action so yep and, and i love what you talk about that monetizing that data because i think that's not it's not something that's talked about right now and, and that can be something creative it doesn't have to be kind of a check that could be to your point a bigger award come you know bid season it could be uh you know uh, prime spots for parking you know, so the drivers have a safe haven there's a variety of ways you can make that actually very advantageous for both sides so i love that you call that out because that's that's important so so thinking about carriers you know this is this is a very carrier-centric market right now right i mean capacity is tight if you got a truck you could almost name your price and really the shippers have let it's not like 2019 where you have that race to the bottom right where it's like just it, it, everybody's you know doing a dollar a mile and just trying to keep the trucks moving when do you see this change? I don't think it's a question of if it's when. And what changes do you see in that? I mean, personally, I always think we need to be in a carrier-centric uh, market. They're the lifeline of this industry. So, absolutely, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to mean escalating rates. I think if you talk to any driver one-on-one, -on -one, they just want to drive. You know, they want to mm -hmm. earn more. They want to drive. They want to be... Um, they don't want to be inundated with a lot of other tasks besides driving. And so I always feel like we should be in that, not necessarily a carrier centric market, but mindset. And I'm a firm believer in that. And so helping those individuals become better utilized, I think as it pertains to the market, I mean, I wish I had the answer to that. I think that's the, you know, billion dollar question at this point, but I think yeah, <laughs> I think near term, it's, you know, there's uh, obviously a lot of um, challenges just with getting new trucks and the chip situation. There's the mm -hmm. port congestion, which we have to rebalance, uh, you know, those those assets as well. There's geopolitical <laughs> concerns that are out there, too, that kind of coincide with that. So. I, you know, it, it used to be very predictable where you could say there's going to be an 18 month run. I think now it's, it's gotten to a point again with the evolution of the supply chain in general, that 
you know, you can have disruption in a certain geo or, or what have you, and it's a bullwhip effect throughout the industry. So I think we're going to see more, you know, less consistency overall in the market mm -hmm. as it pertains to supply and demand and more of these kind of, you know, microburst, if you will, of mm -hmm. uh, issues. And, you know, it's our job to kind of normalize those and smooth out that curve over time. And I think that's everybody in the, you know, all stakeholders in the entire supply chain ecosystem getting involved to, to really help, help make that a better environment for everyone. You bet. I, I love that. Piggybacking off that. So what's, you know, how can shippers and 3PLs and those that are actually providing freight to carriers? So I love when you talk about a carrier centric market and mindset. I think that's huge. How can people and those providers limit their exposure to those microbursts and to this kind of swing of the market? Well, I, I think it's, you know, if you're talking about 3PLs, it's historically been a very transactional type model. So I think, you know, doing your own internal network analysis, looking at your, you know, your providers and who are the bring the most intrinsic value as far as uh, service and so forth, um, who's, who's automated also examining cohorts of capacity and making sure like, you know, if somebody comes into your system, how do you keep them sticky and starting to, to look at that, that cohort as well. And then just, you know, mitigating, I mean, you know, any potential operational issues, right. Being proactive, trying to, you know, set appointments, do all the things, remove, remove blocks for, for drivers, but I, again, I think it's it's looking at my network, preparing for it, having informed conversations with your with your shippers as well. I mean, shippers, you know, have some responsibility here. If you're a problematic facility, you're probably going to pay for it. Um, yeah. And so, driving continuous improvement there, and three PLs being that that voice for for the carriers, especially for the long tail carriers that maybe don't have a voice with that shipper, but. Uh, leveraging that data to tell a story, getting out in front. Um, I think the RFP process is, for all intents and purposes, broke. Uh, it doesn't work anymore. It's predicated in some degree of failure. So thinking about the right procurement strategy, trying to tie that to maybe some indices or whatever to reduce route guide fallout, things mm -hmm. of that nature. So getting a little you know, kind of a little creative with your procurement approach too, and making sure like, Hey, I want to honor my commitment. Nobody accepts an award with the intention of giving it back or increasing rates. Now the market changes and, and I can hear Eddie Lush in my head, just saying like, Hey, we don't make the market. We just live in it um, yep. as a response there. And, and that's very much true. And I think you have to tie that to some indices that says, hey, this is a trigger that's going to increase our rates or, or decrease as well, you know, so um, making sure that it's a win for both parties and, and trying to get a little creative there. And then I think it's, it's looking at the tools you have. It's like, how do you get more bandwidth? I'm always, you know, if I'm in a brokerage, I'm looking at my loads per person per day. It's the, that and you know, my margin and my OPEX and how do I remove OPEX? Those are the only things I'm really looking at if I'm a, if I'm an operator. And so do I have the right tool set to achieve the goals that I have? And how do I, how do I remove some of this? Because you're seeing, and I think, you know, that my point to this is there's a loss in productivity. We're all yep. 
setting at our house today. And that has to be assumed that we're all going to lose some productivity be, because of that, uh, just by not simply being together. So I'd be looking at communication tools and things of that nature and automating exceptions and um, triggering alerts and technology such as that, at least, you know, while we're in these kind of times we're in there right now. Awesome. I think there's a lot of nuggets in there. So if, if folks are listening to this, you know, after uh, we drop this recording, I, I'd rewind that back and play it back because there's a lot of good nuggets in there. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, Chris. So as we, we kind of wrap up here, uh, you know, looking at the next 12 to 18 months, you know, again, we're coming out of, you know, the situation we've been dealing with for the last two years. There are some things that are definitely here to say, some things that will go away. And, and it's definitely shed a light on things that are going to emerge. And, and, you know, whether it's technology or whether it's product, what are some of your predictions? What are some things you're seeing? You look into your crystal ball. What, what do you what do you see with uh, with those three things? You know, what's continuing, what's regressing, what's emerging? I so I, I definitely think the brokerage industry will continue to consolidate. And even if I look back at 2010, 46 billion dollar industry, T200 made up roughly 27 percent of that 46 billion dollars. Fast forward to 2020, and we'll call it 90 billion just for sake of argument um it's about 55 percent. so a lot of consolidation scale matters we're seeing that out there so i would see some some continued investment there and so if i'm you know a, a small to mid-sized broker i really need to be thinking about tech at this point in time also like insurance products and things of that nature anything you can do and and really anything you can do to attract drivers. So thinking about partnership programs and fuel cards, even if you don't have enough density or liquidity scale yourself, you can still extend through some partnerships. So pulling that partnership lever as well, I think that's going to be one. I think you're going to see a lot of trends about around kind of network optimization and collaboration amongst uh, parties in your supply chain. So I think you'll see that emerge. And there's some technology players that are certainly out in the market doing that. Um, I think you'll see more of a capacity as a service or trucks as a service model. Like I think eventually these trucks roll off the line with tech embedded into it and I can click into networks I wanna be part of, um, et cetera. I mean, certainly there's gonna be continued focus on automation and, you know, even autonomous, but I think we're a ways off from that, both from an infrastructure regulatory and just overall sophistication. Um, I do think you'll see the emergence of tech enabled drivers though, where we start to see some of these vehicles coming out and these drivers become their own operating center. I really like the article that Dan Lewis, uh, CEO of uh, Convoy put together in respect to his thoughts on autonomous vehicles. And I would say that I'm in the same kind of camp as that. I think, you know, these are going to be assisted vehicles that maybe operate and do some of the more traditional things that you would think a dispatcher doing. So being your own operating center, I, I think you'll continue to see some of that going on. And these customized tools, so workflow automation, things of that nature, I think there'll be a focus on. And and really, how do we benefit the carrier? I think everybody is thinking about the carrier and the driver right now. So what are yep. some advancements we can make there? I think that's going to be a huge focus. And, you know, predominantly and by and large has been overlooked, at least from this initial wave that we've seen. 
Uh, I, I agree with that. I, I love that. You know, you mentioned the the truck as a operations center. I think uh, one of the things that's going to help drive that as we look at this apprenticeship program that Congress has put put forth. Uh, I really like that. I love the idea because, to me, always a big blocker for people is why would I wait three years to get my CDL to necessarily go and drive a truck, whereas now we're going to have a much deeper training process because people do have that uh, general distrust of 18-year-olds. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> and, but I think, you know, with these tech-enabled trucks, what you're going to see is this is going to be much more speaking their language versus just slanging gears uh, as they're going down the highway. So uh, excited for that. And actually, it's a good lead into follow-on episode we're going to be doing from this. We actually have a driver we're going to be bringing on, and he's 24 years old. And from October to the end of December, he made $70,000 at 24 years old. I mean, it's just... Kids are going to hear that. They're going to see this opportunity. And I think it's one of these exciting things where we're going to see big, intelligent, excited young people get into the industry, which is also is what we need. We need new blood, right? We need for sure. I mean, if you look at the driver demographics, it's definitely an aging population. It's not an attractive job for a myriad of different reasons. I think technology helps with that. I think it makes it more attractive and gives people a skill set and and that job changes by and large over over time so i'm excited about it same same well first of all thank you so much for coming on man i know you're a busy guy you've got a lot of stuff that goes on i i I always appreciate time with you because you've done so much for me personally so i want to say thank you anything else you want to share with everybody i mean again the floor is yours Uh, anything else you want to share Nobody. I think, uh, I mean, thanks for having me. Excited to, you know, hear what you're doing now. And I've always, you know, thought highly of you and you have this knack for building relationships. And, uh, you know, this is one of them and one of many I know you have in the industry. So I'm very fortunate to call you a friend and, uh, and a former coworker. So thanks for yeah. having me. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, like I said, appreciate everybody listening. Make sure to subscribe, hit that like button, share us with your friends. Uh, make sure folks know who Chris is, because trust me, he's one of the best minds in the industry. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Extra Mile Podcast. <laughs>